We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Oh! Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's up, man? What's up, Billy? We're getting closer, man. It's uh, on a Friday here. We're less than a week from the NFL season. It's hard to believe, and Panthers made some moves. Cut that roster down. We'll get into all that and uh, kind of give our take on where they're heading. Definitely, and as we promised on our last show, we did say we were going to do a an episode breaking down the roster because we expected this team to make some moves, and it seems like not only have they made, uh, you know, cut the roster of fifty three, but they also made a few trades on top of it. So we're here to break it down mm-hmm. for you, and uh, let, let's just start off first with the fifty three. And John, was there any like surprising cuts that caught your attention, or any guys that maybe you expected not to make, uh, but did make the final fifty three? Not too much, Billy. I mean, I looked at it at the end of the day, and um, right as we say that, I want to just bring people up to speed on a tweet that just came through at 1030. Joe Person, it's funny you just mentioned this, is reporting the uh, Panthers. uh, His tweet reads, Panthers cut Kenny safety, uh, safety Kenny Robinson on Tuesday, signing back to the roster on Wednesday for the practice squad, and then just cut him from the practice squad on Thursday. So that's from Joe Person, a little ping-ponging going on with Kenny. there and I think that's a bit of a surprise. I guess not given what happened in, in New England there with the fights, maybe. But overall, Billy, I thought there were a few interesting names on defense that they sort of held on to. I think it was always going to be an interesting study in how they shaped this defensive side of the roster. They lost some guys, obviously some veterans uh, in the front seven, and now you see some players that stick around uh, that are interesting guys. Uh, Marquand McCall, who is a, a just a huge human being there from Kentucky had some moments in camp that I liked uh, and they bring back Aaron Mosby on the practice squad overall I don't think there were too many surprises Zilstra caught some people off guard but Billy I think after they made the trade for Chenault which is I definitely want to talk about that with you in particular uh, there was just no room 
they they had to get these young guys on the field, especially Shy and Terrace. Uh, will there be a trade for one of those guys? I don't get the sense that's something they're cooking up right now. Maybe they maybe they got a call about it, but I never got the sense there was something really brewing. And then of course uh, you had that trade. We'll get to that. I I didn't see too many surprises, man. I think it pretty much turned out almost like I thought it would. Yeah, and before we do get to some of the roster turnover, it seems like uh, based on the latest reporting that Sam Darnold is only going to miss four to six weeks. Uh, To me, that is positive. Uh, Obviously, you don't want him to miss any time, but judging based on when I first saw the injury, I thought it would be potentially season ending uh so only being out four to six weeks it doesn't force you to go trade for a quarterback or bring another quarterback into the uh 53 man roster i know they signed jacob Beeson to the practice squad which is fine uh but now you have pj as the backup for the first month and a half of the season potentially uh your thoughts just overall on the backup quarterback situation yeah, I think that's the news that we expected on Darnold. Uh, the injury did look bad, as we talked about uh, in the Buffalo game, but I think <clears throat> the team gave a pretty good indicator that it would be a kind of a four- to eight-week window. And now, as you were talking about, four to six weeks, that puts you in a position where, look, if you had to throw Walker out there to start, that that could be a fatal flaw to your season right there. But luckily, Mayfield comes into this season healthy, brimming with confidence, obviously with a lot to prove, and that I think will give them some optimism that they can springboard forward, assuming he stays healthy. Now, this is where it gets tricky in this league, Billy. We start this podcast season every year. This is now our third doing this with some degree of optimism in every area, it seems, with the exception of a few. I think there's more optimism overall this year, at least for this show, than there has been in the past, guarded optimism. And I think what you got to look at here is Walker took all those snaps. You made that point last week on our show that they prepped him as if he would be a vital player for this team if need be. So don't waste that opportunity if he needs to go in. He's played some games in this league. I think with a shorter sample size, he can be an effective step-in type of guy. But I, I don't think you're going to the playoffs if anybody but Mayfield on this roster is playing quarterback for half the year. So I think that's the key right now is just, you know, no matter how good the offensive line is, no matter how good McCaffrey can be, McCaffrey was great that year. Kyle Allen was in there and they went five, uh, five and 11. So really, they need to get dynamic quarterback play, especially in the red zone. PJ is going to give you some of that uh, in a backup role. Fair enough. And I think the addition with Easton, you know, look, that's that's to be determined. It's an interesting pickup, but I'm I'm just not going to spend a whole lot of time on it right now. Yeah, for sure. It's it's totally justifiable um what they did. And again, I didn't know what the prognosis will be would be long term just uh judging my initial reaction to the injury just looked really bad carted mm-hmm. off. Um it did. So obviously, you know, good news on that front. Um yeah, so I I agree with you as well on the first point. I didn't really notice any type of um, surprise cuts or uh, releases or anyone that probably shouldn't have made it and I think people have to also understand you can only dress like 48 players right. on game day so yes. it's, <laughs> it's a limited number man I mean it's know, yeah and, and the new practice squad rules too where you can have up to 16 players and you can also call up um, I'm not sure what the number is, but you can call up, I think, two or three players like the day before a game. So they're essentially yeah. like on the final roster. 
Um, it's just, you know, administrative rules. Yeah, it's a, it's a formality. I mean, yeah, that, exactly. it, and I like what they've done there. I think they need to continue to look to ways to grow the roster a little bit. I mean, we see teams completely lose control of their seasons as a result of the prior rules that they had. And now you've got some veteran beef there. And they've added some guys back to that that practice squad. And, uh, Kenny Robinson, obviously, according to Joe Person, is no longer on that. Again, I, I just I hate that. I mean, just on the tape alone, he, he was one of the more athletic players on that team. Now, is he going to be an every-down safety? No, but you know, a lot of special teams reps. So we'll see what happens there. But, no, they got some good guys on their practice squad. They bring back Colin Thompson. And, you know, Colin's a Temple guy, but in the blocking schemes, he does a fair job there in terms of what but they have. He, sorry to cut you off, but he's on the practice squad, though. He's not on the 53. Yeah, uh, practice squad. Sorry about that. Um, yeah. Practice squad, Colin Thompson. And, like I said, he gives you some of that blocking uh, sustainability you're looking for and I think, a run game first type of team that it looks like they're going to be. And some other guys as well. Uh, I just like the fact that they do have enough at the receiver position. And to this point, I think the one thing we pleaded with them last week, don't trade right now anything crazy for a position of strength. Well, they went out and did it the next day. Uh, they didn't trade away Marshall, which is a positive. Now, Robbie, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I think I still like Robbie on this team, but I'm not sure if they're trying to deal him. I, I, I just will say this. There was some level of concern from me just talking to a couple of guys around the league that Marshall could be shopped, uh, maybe outright released at some point, and I don't think that's in their plans right now. So good on them for that because I think he needs a good full year to get you know, get acclimated here, give the guy some time. Yeah, so before we get to the trade, I, just, I still want to get to some of the roster decisions that have been made here. Um. Yeah, so you mentioned Kenny Robinson. And again, I'm not going to complain about it. It is what it is. He was going to be a third or fourth safety at best. I just hope these Temple players, Sam Franklin and Sean Chandler, are really <laughs> ready to step up. And I don't, I say that with all due respect. I, they definitely deserve to play in the league. I'm just, I mean, this, this I, especially Chandler, to me, I just, I don't see it with him, John. I really don't. Yeah. I think he's way too late rotating. His tackling is inconsistent. He He's... Too, he gets caught flat-footed on his feet too much. I don't see the instincts and coverage. Yes, he is a very he's a good special teamer. I'll give him that much. And I think in that role, it's fine. Uh, but to me, I think that when you're looking for a third safety, you also have to look at guys who are uh, can get on the field and be able to rely on them. And I don't see that with Chandler. Franklin, I do see the upside a little bit more because I do mm -hmm. think he has – uh, much better range and he understands zone concepts better and he knows how to pattern match with guys going deep in the secondary i don't see that with chandler at all um and again i'm not here to you know just kill the guy i, I just i i'm concerned that yeah. uh, this is another decision that matt and phil snow made based on their own familiarity as opposed to like the talent that was available and again it's not a big deal i'm not going to crush them for it I'm just curious. I think you have to look at that New England practice as maybe where Robinson got lost in the margins there. Cause I never got the sense that he was in their doghouse, that he was going to be on the bubble to be cut out. Right. Uh, it was to me, it was like, okay, you got Chandler. We know what he is. We know what he's not. Uh, Hartsfield can do a number of things. I actually kind of like him a little more than those other two. Uh, at least he's on par with Franklin. 
And I, I don't agree consider, with that. I don't consider him a true safety. I mean, like one scout had said, he's a thick nickel. He's just kind of like he's a big guy who can play inside and tackle. He can cover too, but his his coverage got better throughout last year. But with Kenny, I just think there's a lot of special teams coverage snaps you're losing, especially in coverage from last year. Now maybe that's something Chris Tabor looked at and said, well, we can do better there. So Matt, do what you got to do. Scott, do what you got to do. I just hope that, you know, he didn't get fired on the spot. Like you know, our friend JT B did for having a bad hit on Keith Kirkwood last year. I was a little bit surprised they didn't fire him on the spot. I commended them for it. I'd like to know kind of at some point down the road, just through back channels, how much of that came into play when they made a decision once again here, according to Joe Person, to release him from the practice squad. You just have to wonder because these coaches, you know how they can be. Stock rises and stock falls in terms of their evaluation based on more than just what's on tape. And Matt's very much into that. You know, where's your mind at? How are you going to be leading out there? Uh, I just think he's a better player than Chandler. I I think he gives you more. And he's a draft pick, too. So, I mean, you hate to lose that. But he'll land on his feet. He'll be fine. And, uh, again, that, that's coming from Joe Person here as of 10.30 a.m. So we'll see if that report holds up. Uh, Chandler, you're right about that. I mean, look, they blitz him a lot. That's one thing I've noticed about what Phil does. They bring him up in the box, and they'll they'll give him some pass rush reps, especially in the preseason. But, uh, no, his coverage skills are, are not something you're going to want to plug in there as a third safety. I think I Burris back. Uh, on the practice squad as well, which I think is probably prudent because he's been in the system. And these are things hopefully you don't have to rely on too much. I we'll agree. That. I mean, because, Billy, the top end of their roster, the, the first line is a very impressive-looking unit. But you still have to remember it's very, very flimsy because the depth issue is still about a year away. And so if you start getting those key positions, you can't have the resiliency that like a Kansas City or a Buffalo, teams like that that have worked you know, for about a decade to build this thing up. It's a small, narrow, a small, narrow window of of opportunity here for this season, and it's got to go right in the injury department for them. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, I, I, I want to just caution everyone. Again, I'm just speaking just based on what I see on tape. I Again, I'm sure Sean Chandler is a great guy and good locker room presence, and he knows his coach as well. Uh, I just thought you know that third safety position could be upgraded uh but it hasn't and we'll move on that's just the business we're in billy there's no hard feelings there (laughs) yes it is are you concerned at all with them or i shouldn't say concerned what are your thoughts on them keeping four cornerbacks on the 53 it seems like dante jackson cj henderson keith taylor and stanley thomas oliver the third are the three are the me, the four corners. Now I know Hartsfield he can play. Uh, oh, excuse me, I I'm looking at the wrong depth chart. I forgot J.C. Horn and Miles Hartfield. So they have six actually. Excuse me. Um, but... <laughs> it's been a crazy week, Billy. Don't worry. Yeah, I was it's still at... it's still an interesting position. Yeah, group. no, because yeah. I want to I want to the reason I bring it up is because they cut um the seventh rounder Kalen Barnes and he signed with the the Dolphins. Yeah. So talk to me about the back end of. Like how you feel about this cornerback room, because there are two guys on here who aren't who have to prove that they are durable going into the air. It's a it's a nice looking group on paper. I mean, I, I think we all sort of get into this trap where we assume C.J. Henderson because he looked really good at camp, and I, I can testify to that. But but let's talk for a minute about what that really means. What does that mean that he looked good at camp? So you'll hear a cacophony of reports come in. You'll see it. 
and you'll start to see some trends come together. And it's not a it, you know, the, the NFL is a copycat league, and sometimes the analysis business and the reporting business can have a a, a note and a hint of that, not in a plagiarism sense, but just in sort. Hey, we're all out here talking, shooting the shit. Boy, CJ looks good, and we all kind of agree that CJ looks good. Well, he looked good, but I mean, he hadn't teed it up yet in the regular season, and we saw some flaws last year. People have said around the organization that he feels like he's a more competitive player this year. He's in a better mindset. We know the story about what happened in Jacksonville, sort of the, you know, where the mentality was on his side in terms of the football. And I think that's gone up. I think Steve Wilkes has been a big part of that, as well as guys like Al Holcomb, Phil Snow, even Matt Rule. And, you know, Dante is a very accomplished player. We know what he can do. We know occasionally there can be a few moments that aren't so great uh same can be said about a lot of guys that are maybe in that you know 10 to 20 range in terms of corners in the league I don't know if I consider Dante a top five guy certainly not top three but maybe he's in sneaking in the top 10 on a good day Horn is the one I can't wait to watch because you know to me he has that sustainability even after three games two and a half games of tape last year the knock on him was the only thing you can knock him for is oh they're not playing anybody well I, I know that no kidding. That's how it lined <laughs> up. But he absolutely erased everybody. I mean, Billy, he erased him in the slot. He, he took tight ends out of the game. He was out there on the perimeter doing good work. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many touchdowns he was responsible for. I think there was one he was in coverage on against the Jets that went to the Jets. And I, I don't know how that was graded by PFF, but I, that didn't even look like a bad rep. I mean, the guy was a stud and his tackling got better in that short sample. So yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't wait. I think Taylor is interesting. He had some up and down moments his rookie year. He's got some great size. Thomas Oliver will probably be one of your gunners now, I would think with, with Zilstra out the door and Hartsfield to me, he's at strong safety at depth chart. But as I told people on that spaces, especially at safety, don't pay attention to the depth chart. I mean, just these guys are just football players. They're going to play everywhere, especially Hartsfield. He's, he's going to play probably as much corner as safety in the traditional sense. So I think it's a pretty good opportunity for this group to, to get to where they need to be. Um, I just want to see Henderson. Is he really back into that form he was in before the draft where people thought, Hey, he's going to be a long time star in this league. Doesn't even have to be that. Just yeah, I'm not, I'm not expect. I don't want him to even, I mean, if he reaches those levels, obviously yeah. I'll take it, but right, you're, right. you're just looking for well, that. That that's what I'm saying, Billy, because the, I think some of the hype coming out of camp, I'm not calling out anybody in particular. You just got to kind of fans read tweets and they read articles. They need to step back and say to themselves like we do. OK, great. He looked like the star of camp. That's the star of camp. Camp yeah, is over. John, it's time to look at the tape. I totally agree with you. And again, I mentioned on the last episode, how many times have we seen these training camp MVPs go on to have, you know, mediocre yeah. <laughs> it's happened so much with this franchise uh so i i really don't care about training camp or preseason um i mean i care about it from the simple fact that you're not getting injured because we've seen a lot of that in yeah that's a few that's usually the only thing that matters in this thing is that these yeah, guys are yelling and continuity's there and and the and thing that, gonna honestly, the thing that really irks me about some of the coverage and again i'm not blaming the media for doing this they have to they have a job to do i just what what i take issue with is the reaction um from fans on how a certain player did in a preseason game or practice because at the end of the day that's what it is it's, it's yes. you're just preparing for the season there's plenty of time for 
uh, the discourse to take shape when actual oh, don't we know it <laughs> um uh, just a couple observations on my end i'm happy that mark Quan made mccall made the roster agreed uh, he, he flashed a lot on tape uh yeah. during the preseason i know you noticed that too uh so really pleased to see that um before we get to the trade the trades i should say eddie <laughs> pinero was selected uh to be their starting kicker in yeah. Uh, in place of Zane Gonzalez, uh, your thoughts on him? I really have no thoughts on him. I mean, he seems like a okay kicker, but again, it's I'm not a special team scout, uh, especially kicker scout, uh, so I don't know what looks good and what doesn't. Uh, but I don't know. He seems like a an okay kicker, I guess. Yeah, I think they came out out of this as good as they could have. I mean, look, Zane Gonzalez. Here's here's what you have to remember, and I'm not trying to diminish what. He did, but just just look at this for a minute. Eddie Pinheiro has played 21 games in his career. He's 36 of 39 on the extra points. So, you know, clean that up a little bit. That'd be nice. 31 of 36 from field goals. He's made his last 19. That's nice. He hadn't played um, in a minute. I mean, he played a little bit last year. 2020, he took off. I believe it was a COVID year for him. I have to go back and look. But 50-plus yards, three of three. Uh, the short chip shots, he's 11 of 11. He's actually 22 of 23 inside of 40 yards. Those are little things I look at. And then Chris Tabor, that was the obvious connection. He worked with Eddie in Chicago. So I talked with Mike Solardi the other night about this on our spaces. He does good work for Spectrum News up there. Yeah, Mike's a great follow, by the way. He's great. And he knows the Chicago culture pretty well because he used to live up there and report there. And he was just glowingly talking about the fact that not only do you have Chris Tabor, but when you've kicked in Soldier Field, even the new sort of spaceship-looking Soldier Field, you're kind of going through it, and you're getting sort of a firsthand uh, tough-as-nails education on how to sustain in a bad environment. And it's, it's notable to say that he's never missed a kick indoors, and he's pretty damn good on turf, and Carolina plays one game on grass all year. I don't know. I guess that's as deep as I can go about a kicker. Zane Gonzalez was not as good statistically as Panera was in his 21 games prior to arriving in Carolina. So keep that in mind, too. I know a lot of people are devastated. It's not great to lose uh, Zane Gonzalez, but again, you're, you're filling with another guy who's capable of doing the job. Now you just got to stay steady, Eddie. Got to just make him. Don't miss extra points, please. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't like go the route of bringing back Santoso. I, I oh. yeah, he, he was not good here. And I understand he was only here for like a game or two, but yeah, yeah he, he, I mean, I'm sure he has a big leg. He's a big guy, but I don't got time. I don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. His accuracy was very, very, very poor. Nope. In my opinion. Nope. Give me, give me accuracy and, and maybe a 50 yard sort of ceiling instead of, you know, just a wild boomer. I mean, Sly was fun to watch, but come on. No, I, mean, I, I can't even take him. He's the same thing with Santoso. It's just, it, like, it would drive me nuts. Good. Like, um, like if if give me a kicker who can, who is very accurate under fifty yards, and yeah. you know if you can't make fifty or over, like whatever, that's fine. Uh, obviously, I would like a Justin Tucker type kicker, and I'm not going to sure. deny that. But uh, I'm not trying to be too picky here. And well, Baltimore gets to have him; they get everything. They get all the nice things, Bill. You know that. Um, and by the way, everyone should keep tuning into your spaces with Salarti. That was a a pretty good one. Oh, I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, you guys, yeah. should, you guys my, should definitely keep doing it. I, I recommend it. I thought it was you might, uh, you know, pop in once. I, I, <laughs> I can't do that like I used to. My schedule now, I think we went until 2 a.m. 
yeah, and yeah. these TV guys like Nick Carboni and, and Mike and, and others and you know like Will Conkle, these guys work until two in the morning. So it was like Mike's like, oh, okay, this is right up my alley. I'll grab a bite to eat and I'll talk with you. He hang on there for about an hour, man. We had a good time. And then then it got a little sloppy and I said, you know what, time to as the coach say, time to tighten this shit up and let's let's head on out of here. But we had a good time. Yeah, pretty for productive sure. talk too. What wasn't just a bunch of fans on there, you know mindlessly shitting on the coach or the players or the owner. I just, I, I'm trying to raise my, my level of play above that a little bit. we got to focus on tape players. Let's move this thing in the right direction as far as we can with analysis, but yeah, for sure. It'll be what it'll be, man. In my base doing hard work here. Yeah, definitely. And so let, let's get to the, uh, obviously the trades that occurred. We'll get to the Dennis daily trade. It was pretty marginal yeah. um, on the surface, but obviously the big one, uh, LaVisca Chenault to the Panthers for a seventh round pick in 2023 and a sixth round pick in 2024. Uh, so Dude, again, why not? <laughs> a couple why things, not? a couple things, because I want you to address some of the angst among certain people in the fan base on both sides, because I, I, I've, I've seen you address it on Twitter. Uh I want to give you this platform because it's much more direct and you can explain yourself. Mm-hmm. But first of all, let me just give you my perspective on Chenault. Do. I okay? want to hear yours. I want to hear yours first. Yeah. So Chenault, to me, he is very much a gadget type wide receiver. I never, I, I get concerned with these re- receivers who need manufactured touches. Okay. Because the job of, of a wide receiver, it's very plain and simple. It's get open and catch balls. And Chenault did not do that. He's never done that in the NFL. Uh, his rookie year, he did have a pretty solid year. Uh, but it, again, a lot of it was manufactured touches and him like th- there was one touchdown he had. I think it, his rookie year, I was going back. It was like, my, like, I think Mike Glennon was a quarterback or someone just very like one of these backups. He threw a ball and the ball was like intended for like DJ Chark, who like, you know, the defender like batted it up in the air and Chenault was like right place, right time and caught a touchdown. Yeah, so that was one of his touchdowns as a rookie. And when I when he came out of Colorado, I thought he was uh, he, he was definitely not a refined route runner or mm-hmm. receiver. He needed polish, but he did have the athleticism. He had the upside in that regard. And again, there was a lot of other data that portrayed him as a guy who could potentially be maybe a Debo Samuel like. And he's clearly, yeah. in my opinion, he does not have the fluidity of Debo Samuel. He I agree with that explosiveness of Debo Samuel. Yeah, totally. Truck guys over. And again, is he a running back? Is he, I don't even think he's <laughs> like Cordell Patterson and Patterson is much more explosive. Yeah, I forgot. I got to, I got to talk about that for a minute too. Yeah. Can, so yeah. I just think like, to me, he's, I, I don't know what his role, like I, I understand what role they're going to give him. I just don't really see the, upside that they do because what can he do that McCaffrey can't do is my thing exactly exactly that DJ Moore can't do DJ Moore can do the same things that he can do and if I'm even going a little further Andre Roberts who's their primary punter kick returner mm-hmm. he right. can do those things as well he can take jet sweeps or uh, you know fly sweeps uh, you know bubble screens he can do that as well so, so the, the misnomer so, Billy yeah so and just to finish it up here and again I think the compensation was very minimal and I have no issue with that. 
my issue is not about the what they gave up. My issue is about the opportunity cost that yep. could eat in to the production of other players who are better than him at those exactly. specific like exactly. McCaffrey. And I'll turn it the floor to you. No, you. I. I. Sorry, I interrupt you there. That, I'm glad you drove that point home because that was first on my list here, and I, I want to just kind of piggyback on that. <clears throat> Fans, and and it's driven sometimes by you know the, the media in general sets up a narrative that oh, it's Trader Scott. Scott's in on every deal, and here we go, and and then there becomes sort of a panic mode, and then on the opposite side, sort of an over celebration mode when things feel good. No one really knows, especially people in that building who won or lost a trade until things sort of like, I don't know, happen on the field. So that's what you need to wait for. And even then, you shouldn't really operate in a world where you're sitting there pointing and say, oh, did we win or lose that trade? You didn't do either. You fucking made a trade. Shit happens. It's like with C.J. Henderson. All right. People love Dan Arnold. I liked him. I wasn't thrilled about that trade, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, Oh, well, the Jags won that trade. <laughs> they obviously got rid of the corner. Everybody thinks their guy's trash, and somebody else out there sees something in them. It's not black and white in this league. LaVisca Chenault is a fine football player. That's what Mark Schofield said on our Fox Sports show this week. He doesn't see him as a boundary X. He doesn't see him as a Z or, or even a Y, for that matter. He's a football player. And that was the, the sort of the number on him at Colorado. His quarterback at Colorado School was telling me, hey, he's asked him, what, what, what do you like the most about LaVisca? He said, I like getting to the ball. And then Mark, of course, dug deeper and said, well, how? And he said, just however I have to. So you're right about the tape study. I, I looked at his pro tape here. I mean, a good, you know, 60 or 70 snaps, pretty small sample size, but about, you know, 30 targets. And I mean, look, it is what it is. I think there's some clarification here that's in order. He is not Debo Samuel. He is not Cordero Patterson. He's LaVisca Chenault. Okay. He does not qualify as one of the best kick returners of our time. That's Patterson. He does not line up in the backfield as much as Patterson. Okay. That's when people see the run counts, they're thinking, oh, he's dotting the eye or he's back there in a 12 person. No, he's taking a jet sweep. And about half of these screen passes are behind the line. They count as runs. So he is a bully ball type of guy. He's 6'2, 220. He's Stephen Davis, basically. I mean, I hate to say it. He's probably got a little more speed on him. And he's a respectable guy with his hands. But on the boundary, Billy, I mean, I, I took a cue from, from you when the deal went down. And I went right to the tape because I was like, oh, what is this that I'm, I'm looking at here with Chenault? He's physical as shit. He can be a great Swiss Army knife for this team down the stretch. But on the boundary, it, it leaves a lot to be desired. He won't be needed there unless guys get hurt and then what do you do um but to your point you're spot on it, it's opportunity cost it's utilization now you're in a position where okay even with denzel mims being rumored it turns out carolina was in on that deal too apparently there was some talk about denzel mims coming here not not shocking to those who follow this head coach but adding one more receiver to this group didn't feel like a necessity it actually felt like something that could hinder them to a certain degree because then maybe shy smith gets cut and I don't think that would have been a good idea. Or maybe you have to let like a guy like Zilstra go who had good yard per catch production and was a very viable special teams guy. Well, Chenault doesn't play special teams. He's never returned a kick or a punt. So what you're getting here is essentially a mid-area receiver, intermediate receiver, 
a guy who can catch, you know, a crosser of West Coast concepts, which McAdoo will run. And then, yeah, he'll get maybe a few touches a game. But, Billy, let's just say this. Let's say if McAdoo and, and, and Rule get back to what the, quote, Matt Rule offense wants to be, which is ground and pound, run the ball 33 times, I think Matt said last year, a game is the target. Well, let's just say it's 30. Let's say they run the ball 30 times in a given game. Let's say they pass it 33 times, 32, whatever. Let's just say 30 pass attempts, 30, 3-0. Let's assume McCaffrey, if he's healthy, he's getting about 10 of those. All right? Whether they try to hold back or not, that's the natural inclination. Maybe boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, do I have thoughts if that's the case. Well, here's the thing. with Mayfield might be less prone to lean on that. And that's, I think, positive because he has the arm to push it. Uh, it, it's been a minute though since Robbie and DJ have actually had to participate in that type of offense. So I'm curious to see how rusty that looks because it was Bridgewater feeding them off, you know, five, seven yards and letting them rack. And then last year was just a, a heaping pile of dog shit for a lot of reasons. This year, I just think if they if they're going to be run heavy and you carry this many receivers and you're sort of counting Laviska as a running back, he's not a running back. He's not. He's built like one. His utilization will not look like it. It'll look a little bit like Debo, and he's just not as fluid. You're right. So I like him personally. I think he's a cool player. If they were if, if they were leaner at the position, I would have been okay with it. And I still am okay with it. I, I guess I should say it's not my business. I'm not losing sleep over it. I just think it's fair to question it to a certain degree because when does he get in the lineup? Um, draft picks yeah. are draft picks. I mean, you don't want to give up draft picks for nothing, so hopefully he plays. Otherwise, it's just a year of a guy that got maybe two or three snaps uh, for about four or five games. So we'll see what happens. Injuries happen. But, no, if DJ goes down, you're not plugging in Chenault in his spot. He's not an ex-receiver. No, for sure. And, and that's the thing. Even if you were having – if you line them up in the backfield, like we've seen McCaffrey run those angle Texas routes and he is so much more, I mean, he, he is just the best, like the most impressive short area quickness and yeah. deceptiveness in his routes. Uh, among not only just running backs, but even receivers and yep. having him be replaced by Chenault in that situation, it's just not going to hold up well. And again, like McCaffrey's been injured the past two years, so I don't know if they're trying to protect against that. But to me, Chenault as just a plain wide wide receiver, like even if you have him in the slot, I'm not sure he does more than Shai Smith. I would rather have Shai Smith in that situation than well, Chenault. Yeah, <laughs> and to your point, you're trying to develop your draft picks. This is year two for Shai Smith, who has earned it. At, again, we talk about camp and preseason, Billy. But the merit of it is giving guys an opportunity to separate themselves competitively. And you do pay attention to things like that when you're at camp and you're in a preseason game. You look at the tape. And, and guys like McCall from defense did that. That's why he made the team. Shai Smith has done everything asked of him. He's come in. He's been very good in the slot. He's caught everything thrown to him. Uh, his practices have been crisp. And I don't know. I, I don't think Chenault is going to ruin this team's fortunes. I don't think it's subtraction by addition necessarily, but it's crowded. It's crowded in the backfield. Foreman's there. I mean, hell, he looked good catching the ball. I mean, just feed him 10 or 12 touches. I don't know. I just keep it a little simple. It's getting a little crowded. Maybe just, I just don't want them to get it a little too complicated here with how they run this offense. Um, when really you've got the guys on the front lines there to take care of business. Mayfield's an adequate passer. Uh, you got good receivers. 
let's let's let it gel a little bit, but it'll be interesting to see when they plug him in. I, I think what like Schofield had said and some others I talked to is you, you see a guy like Chenault being worked in very, very carefully here, maybe like mid-season even, because you've got to learn the offense. And I don't think he'll ever be totally in tune with the offense. That's no knock on, on his intelligence. That's not where I'm going. It just takes a lot of damn time to get this system down. So I do think it is kind of like Curtis in his rookie year, maybe. He's not like Curtis either, folks. It's not Curtis Samuel. Although one of our scouts we know, Billy, said he scouted him like a, a thicker Curtis Samuel coming out of Colorado, but obviously some different trades there. Yeah, it was an interesting trade, no doubt. And they, and like you said, they unloaded Dennis Daly. And so, you know, the, the stands got on there like, yeah, Scott won this one. It's like, well, I mean, okay, Dennis didn't do great things here, but they kind of offset what they did with LaVisca. It's, it's the nature of the business, man. Nobody really won or lost. Let's play some games and see what happens. Yeah, for sure. So let me just get back to the Chenault trade here in a second. And I get, I think it's important to mention that obviously I I was very clear that I did not want Denzel Mims. And I saw reports yesterday or the day before that said the Jets were asking for a fourth. And oh god, the Jets can do whatever they want. They can ask for a third, a second, a first, fourth, first. I don't really care what they ask for. I didn't want Denzel Mims on this football team unless it was a sixth or even a seventh at most. I, I honestly wouldn't even have done that. I just don't think he's good, period. I liked him coming out of Baylor. However, we've seen the track record now of Baylor wide receivers failing to acclimate to the professional game. Yep. And it's not just him. I can go through a list of wide receivers from Corey Coleman uh, to, you know, the guy from Kendall Wright a few years ago in Tennessee. Yeah. God, well, a, there's a ton of these there. receivers who come from Baylor. And yes, I understand that the Art Bryle system was different than whatever Matt Rule was running at in Waco. But I, I still am very dubious of those receivers, okay? Yeah. Now, Jalen Rager, he got treated for a fourth, a conditional fourth that could be a fifth and a seventh. And I think I personally liked Rager a lot more as a prospect. And he also has a pedigree of being a first round pick. So that's yeah. probably why he was a little more expensive. And the Vikings, they obviously completed that trade. And it was a, I think it's a good trade for them because again, one thing that Rager has that for all of his issues, I'm not trying to, to defend Jalen Rager, but he has straight line speed, which which is what a lot of teams in the league are looking for. That's what he Baker Mayfield could use with his strengths as a passer this year. And, and Chenault does not have straight no, lines at all. You're right. Yep. He's again. He's very specific. You have to have a very specific role for him, and go with that. Now, my concern is this: if you're mentioning ten touches for McCaffrey, that's unacceptable. If that's the plan they go with, and that just to be clear, that would be ten targets in the passing game. Maybe it's a little less again with with utilization, but I still think. I mean, like last year, he was getting upwards of ten passing targets. Let's say it's just eight. That's a fourth of their targets. So where do the other three? You know, where's the other 75% coming from if you got this many receivers and then you add Chenault? Yeah, so if, one more thing, and I'll, we'll finish this topic here. And again, I, I want to be clear that this, I'm not, I take no issue with the compensation given up. I'm just curious about the overall approach of this roster and who's yeah. the one making these decisions, okay? And that's like a, a collective topic effort. for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, I just, I have questions about 
the philosophy of the offensive coordinator versus the head coach. And again, hmm. I understand what the head coach wants. I just don't think the offensive coordinator sees it that way. I just don't. He's a guy who, who runs a lot of 11 personnel. He's a Mike McCarthy disciple. He did not. I mean, look at his running backs with the Giants. I mean, like guys like Rashad Jennings and Shane Vereen. Like the, I mean, Vereen was obviously a great player. I loved him when he was in the league. But when Vereen was with the Patriots, I mean, he was primarily that played that James White role. He was a receiving running back. Yeah. And so, like, when he was with the Giants, he primarily did that. And I don't know. Like, to, to me, I just don't really see their philosophies meshing. And I think we're going to have uh, – we're going to be having questions about it once the season starts. But, look, if, if suddenly – um, McAdoo is of the opinion that you have to run the ball 30 times and it matches Matt's philosophy, then cool. Then you know what? That's the bed that these guys want to choose and good luck to them. I just think I'll say the same thing if Matt has adjusted his philosophy from last year. So uh, again, I did not understand the urgency of needing another receiver. I'm glad they did not trade Robbie or Terrace for that matter. Especially Terrace. I'm glad they didn't trade for Mims. I think the Chenault one is very curious, and I'm very interested to see how it goes, but it was a low-risk trade. You didn't really have to give up much. I just hope that this organization develops their own instead of looking to develop Jacksonville's 2020 draft class. Right. Totally spot on. Let's look back at 2016, Billy. This was uh, the year Ben McAdoo was the head coach of the Giants went 11 and five. Now I know they got smoked in the playoffs uh, and I know that caught some criticism, but I think given where Carolina's been lately over the past, what, four or five years, 11 wins looks pretty damn good. So I think you could tip your hat to McAdoo and that he at least took what he had there and, and sort of a very good emerging Rodell Beckham and still a very effective Eli Manning. And it wasn't like Manning was 45 touchdowns, three interceptions. It was 26 to 16 in that department. Uh, in the running game, you mentioned you mentioned Vereen, I believe Rashad Jennings, Paul Perkins, Shane Vereen. They all combined for what you know around a thousand yards together. They had Darko on that team too. Uh, this was not a team that was effective in the run game, and they kind of knew it. That's why they were twenty second in rush attempts that year because they were thirtieth in yards per attempt. So they played to their strengths. Uh, the defense was solid in spots. So I think pigeonholing yourself into certain spots. You know, I don't know. I don't think they maybe internally they haven't done that, but it's a, that's an interesting thing you just brought up about McAdoo and Rowe because it's nagged at me a little bit, and then I sort of just kind of keep plowing forward to the season. But it's not like McAdoo has ever been with a scheme that has been, oh yeah, it's going to be power scheme, it's going to be some wide zone too, and we're just going to dedicate ourselves to being more of a 49ers foundational type of run game. Um, that's not what he did in New York, man. That's not what he learned in Green Bay either. That's it was <laughs> pass first and you know run out run out of gun eleven personnel out of that and you can open up some holes. It just it's going to be interesting. Little little nugget there from Billy. I like that. Yeah, for sure. And again, it, it's I, I just want to see how it works. I have no other qualms with their approach. I just again I would not have been targeting receiver this much I, I felt that even if you were to target receiver i fe- feel like the waiver wire would have presented better options yeah um just yesterday amir smith marquette was claimed by the bears and he's a guy that i think has a lot more upside 
uh, because he's, you know, he can provide value on special teams and he's like an electric guy uh, just with a straight line speed and his overall athleticism. Uh, another guy that got released that really impressed me was uh, Kendrick Pryor from Wisconsin. He yeah. played for the Bengals in the preseason. He got claimed as well. And yeah, I, I think they need to just be more mindful of like the draft allocate the draft assets that they are using okay because exactly it's it's fine to use draft picks but last year a sixth round pick got used stefan gilmore and he's obviously really good and i feel like those type of trades for veterans that we know are like all pros or pro bowlers are much better use of the resources than guys that you're trying to you know kind of develop in, in right some- you're taking a leap of like Darnold, C.J. Henderson, and and now kind of like with this. I mean, it it's not to diminish their abilities, but but these are developmental guys, and these aren't guys that have limitations. Uh, yeah, like one thousand percent. I I looked at the, I looked at what happened this preseason for what it was worth, and, and you know, unless you start losing guys left and right, I know Marshall had some injury issues there, and I, I get it, but. Even with that, I never got the sense he was going to be dealt with or, or ever released. And I certainly never thought that they would clear out of this 53-man roster cut with Robbie and Tara still intact and then trading or even signing another receiver and keeping him on the 53. I thought it'd be six. I honestly thought it'd be six. Um, but I'm not outraged by it. I just think it's interesting. It's It's one of those little roster wrinkles that – it does catch attention for a good reason because, you know, it's it's a position of strength. I don't know if it's gotten stronger. It's just gotten a little bit different. And it, you can end up doing some bad things through that because, like you mentioned, somebody's going to lose touches when he's on the field. If he makes the most of it, that's great. But how much can Chenault do for you? And, and how much can a Shai Smith do for you stacked up one by one? when you look at their limitations and their strengths within the structure of this offense, I don't know. I think this is just their little stab at trying to have their wide back, a guy that can come in and do a little bit of that stuff they see from, from Debo. And it feels gimmicky and I don't like gimmicky. So that's just my initial feeling, not even analysis, just a gut feeling. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. So let's kind of finalize this discussion here and, um, you know, wrap up the show. I don't really have too many thoughts on Dennis Daly being traded. I thought they did well to get something for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were able to get a fifth, but they did give up a seventh in addition. So overall, it's probably like a sixth rounder in total compensation. And it's in 2024 as well. Um, So I, I don't really have strong feelings one way or the other. I, I understand that some fans, they feel like the... <laughs> You know, the front <laughs> office deserves statues for these type of trades. Give, really give them their roses, Billy. <laughs> and I want you to finish this conversation with this topic oh, because man. you were getting into it with a few people on on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah, John, we... these, are, these are very marginal trades. Expectations right. should be kept in line with what has been given up in, in these situations. I don't care about winners or losers. I just feel like the discourse in some respects has been, and, and maybe this is just the nature of football and people have strong feelings. I don't know. Oh, it's this way everywhere. Yeah. It's but, like, and that's, your thoughts? yeah. Look, I, 
as 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 I do with the owner and the coach and everybody out, out with the organization, even some of the players, it's the same way with fans I interact with. It's never personal. I just got to a point, and, and I guess some of this has been with this Mayfield, Cynthia Freeland, just nothing burger of a story that is just <laughs> Cleveland media is just slobbering every day at it. And you got to ignore the noise. And I've learned how to do it. I'm just encouraging others to. And the same goes for like, on a, on a lesser scale in terms of provocative nature, who won this trade? I, like, okay, so what you get here is this natural effect of, oh, it's kind of twit. Oh, it's a trade. And then you see Josh Norris's tweet and others like you're and others. It's like, even me, like what we're doing here is kind of weird. And there's a negative sort of narrative being built when that's not our intent. It's to just kind of tell you, Hey, yeah, it, he wasn't very good as a boundary receiver. Now let me go show you some tape of what he can do. Make up your own mind. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, well, John, who won or lost the trade? With all due respect, I don't have a fucking idea who won or lost the trade. <laughs> it happened. It's a trade. I mean, these, it's a very transactional league. Everybody got what they wanted in this. You're not making a trade with a team with a gun to their head. It's not like, <laughs> well, unless you're Howie Roseman, who now has about 20 first-round picks over the next three years. He's getting it done. But very few teams can just fleece the hell out of you constantly. So – there's a myth out there that Scott is like the fleecer of the decade. And I don't want there to be an equal myth on the other side that, oh, this is just reckless. No, it's neither. It's a guy who's very active. You learned that through Pete Carroll and John Schneider. Just go look at their track record. We talk with guys like this uh, around Scott, like Farrar, Sam Farmer. They told us to expect this and it's happening. So, you know, just be prepared for trades. And if it gets to be too much, if you start arguing with other fans and then you start arguing with me, first of all, if you take it too far of me, you're getting blocked. So I'm just telling you right now, I have no time for it. No, I'm getting no sleep. I got a lot of work to do. I'm not arguing with anybody that disagrees with my take and wants to be personal about it. If you don't disagree. Come on, bring it. But when I say, oh, there's no losers or winners in this trade, go take a walk outside. And then you're, you know, coming at my neck, like, oh, who do you think you are? NFL analyst, uh, some hack watching YouTube highlights. Well, that's an instant block. Not because I'm sensitive, because I don't have to deal with that shit. No, I put a lot of time and effort in the work I do here. And what that tells me is you can take a deep breath and you can go outside. And about two years from now, we're going to forget about these trades. Unless you know it becomes the Debo Samuel Swiss Army knife, in which case, yeah, they did win the trade. Congratulations. You grade these things out when you see the product. So, yeah, I just, you know, there's a cacophony of negativity around this fan base. And a lot of it has to do with some of the things the team has done themselves, including losing a lot of games. Uh, that's where it all starts. You start winning games, it all changes. I mean, McAdoo, he went 11 wins in 2016. <laughs> Look, people thought McAdoo was a good guy at that point in terms of the coaching world. And then it went south. You are what your record is. Um, just, don't get too worked up about things like this. It's just advice. Again, like you, Billy, I'm not going to tell people how to fan. If you feel like spending time throughout your day, and I, oh, I'm going very close to where Mr. Tepper went here in terms of basement, because I don't want to, I don't want to be that guy. I am not that guy, but there is a certain threshold you cross where it's like, okay, you're going four hours deep here, arguing about the value of the daily trade versus the Chanel trade. When ultimately, you know, the guys who made the trade are going out and having beers and, you know, meeting up with their families for dinner. These <laughs> it's it's okay. Live your life and you know have a take and have an opinion, but don't come yelling at me about it. You know, shit. I am what I am. I'm not a scout. I'm not a coach. I've been very vocal about that. Anywho, thanks for the uh, forum, Billy. This is fun. No, and and, and I, I'm glad you said that. And I hope you actually take 
that entire monologue and post them on Twitter because I, I think it's important for people to hear for the simple fact that I think we like bigger trades we can grade on the surface like a Sam Dar- like giving up what they gave up for Sam Darnold's was yeah, I mean, smart to begin with. That, trade that, up, that, yeah. You, you know, that guy that all those trade ups that Marty Herney did back in the early two. You know, oh. 2009, 2010, those were never smart to begin with, no matter who they draft in that spot. Yeah, there's certain trades that you there's certain trades that right off the bat get rubber stamped with like, oh, oh, like an not an incomplete, but like an oh shit, <laughs> this ain't good. Yeah, you can you can grade the process. Right. And exactly. I, I think but sixth and seventh round picks, like it, it to me, that that's something where we have to wait and see how it goes. And um yeah, I, I let's just everyone take a deep breath. Don't come at John. I understand there's a lot of fans who have strong opinions towards a lot of things. It's the NFL. Well, there's and to it's, be it's real, always going on. To be real clear, it was like two guys. And really what you get here, and I think a lot of our folks that listen to our show and follow us know, I, I, I say this, I don't have a high success hit rate in terms of like my analysis at times. I, I'm not great at this all the time. I do nail it sometimes. You do as well because we work our asses off at this. But in terms of like, just getting along with people, even on this hellscape of an app, I'd say overall, I, I get about one to two percent of my tweets every week are just obviously this is somebody associated with somebody else who's got an axe to grind on a burner. And you just take that for what it is. You don't give it attention. You just block it and move on. And those kind of were the same symptoms I saw with this stuff. It was pretty much, oh, yeah, John made a comment. He's the bad guy. Fuck him. Let's bring him down. And you don't take that personal. You want to be in that spot in this role in analysis in the media. And you just give it its proper treatment. This was a vocal opportunity to come on podcast instead of, you know, 200 characters going off like a nut job and just say, hey, it's not personal to me. This is not a story about me. It's about a story about how you look at the team and how you look at football. Um, there were no winners and losers, in my opinion, of, of what happened with these trades it'll determine itself over the next year or two daily is what he is. I mean, to get something out of that's fine. And then, you know, the Chenault thing, we will find out what he can do for this organization uh, and six and seven round picks. Typically they don't hit off. And although, Hey, I'm, I got Cade Mays right here, baby. I got my Bojangles ready to go. So it's Cade Mays. And ladies yeah. and gentlemen, it, if it you is. aren't familiar with the new tradition, John will be having donuts and Bojangles every Sunday. Oh, morning, no, not, not just that. It, it, donuts. And, and when he gets in the lineup, it's going to be donuts and Bojangles and a few pancakes, my friend, because he's got it in him. He's got that dog in him. I just got to keep seeing some improvement there. Um, he's one of those guys who did flash on tape. So, yeah, thanks for the quick forum there. It was just kind of good to get, you know, my perspective on how, you know, just little things like that can spark some weird shit on Twitter. But once again, I think a couple of those people are the same guy, maybe, or maybe the same couple of buddies that know somebody that might not like me too much. <laughs> I, I can tell you this, the people in the building, I don't know about the owner. I don't know him. I know a lot of people in that building. We're cool. Okay. So I'm good with that. Billy and I are cool with guys like Cosell, Bowen, uh, Steve Ruiz, former players, current players. And and you fans. So, man, that's where we're at. We don't care about, you know, Bill 12758649789 coming after me with some very personal stuff, almost like he's been stalking my Facebook. And this all sparked from like, okay, we're talking about trade compensation. And I was the rational voice here. 
And all I said was go outside and have a walk. Okay, well, there's obviously an agenda there. So you're blocked now for the fifth time or for a fifth alias. Let's go six for six, baby. Bring it on. It's what we live for, mm-hmm. Billy. <laughs> and with that said, uh, that yeah. today's episode of The Roar. Uh, we do actually have a guest lined up next week to help preview Ooh. their first opponent, uh, Caroline's first opponent, the Cleveland Browns, who come to town. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next week for a preview of the Cleveland Browns. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.